Good morning. Welcome to NTD. Good morning. Here are top stories. A car smashes into President Biden's motorcade outside campaign headquarters. Find out more in the accident. Israel uncovers a massive tunnel system in Gaza a quarter mile from the Israeli border. More on what Chief IDF spokesman calls an underground city of terror. Another shakeup in the DeSantis campaign. A key super PAC leader has quit just before the Iowa caucuses. What's behind his decision? Weekend campaigning in full steam. Immigration and the economy on the front burner for former President Trump. President Biden's team fires back. A former advisor tells us what their end games are. Thousands of illegal immigrants flood into Texas on Sunday alone. The Biden administration announces emergency measures sure to leave international rail traffic in a jam. A federal survey reports a surge in the number of homeless in the U.S. We break down the details of the report with the host of NTD Business. What should you be doing at those holiday parties? We took a look at the do's and don'ts of holiday gatherings with an expert on personal branding and etiquette. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD. Welcome, and we're kicking off another week. Today's Monday, December 18th. Yeah, good thing President Biden and his wife are okay. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as a president, you probably know that you're somewhat of a target, but still, it doesn't really happen every day, right? So and you could really see the shock on his face. Yeah. But of course, we're glad everything is fine. But that also brings us to our top news today. We're, of course, talking about the disruption of President Biden's motorcade yesterday after a car crashed into a parked SUV outside the president's campaign headquarters. The president and his wife had just left his campaign headquarters after having dinner with members of his re-election team. The president and First Lady Jill Biden were unharmed in the incident. The incident occurred just after 8 p.m. local time. Footage shows the president walking out of the campaign headquarters and being confronted by a question from a reporter. The reporter asked the president why he is losing to Trump in the polls, to which he responded, you're reading the wrong polls. Immediately after that, a collision can be heard nearby. The president was escorted into another vehicle by security staff as other agents quickly confronted the driver who crashed into the motorcade. Agents cornered the car and pulled weapons on the driver who held his hands up. According to a witness, the Bidens returned safely to their home in Wilmington following the incident. And another shakeup for Governor Ron DeSantis' presidential bid. The top advisor to the Super PAC supporting the DeSantis campaign resigned Saturday night. Jeff Rowe's resignation comes as DeSantis is in the final weeks before the Iowa caucuses. Rowe announced his resignation on X Saturday. His announcement came hours after the Washington Post published a story about the turmoil within the Super PAC dubbed Never Back Down. In the story, Never Back Down chairman and CEO Scott Wagner attributed recent departures of some of Rowe's top workers to numerous unauthorized leaks containing false information. Wagner later revisited his revised his statement after a lawyer for the employees claimed his assertions were false. Both statements were included in the Post story. Rowe said he cannot in good conscience stay affiliated with the Super PAC given the statements in the Washington Post. A DeSantis campaign spokesman said they have full confidence in the Super PAC. Never back down, did not immediately respond to media requests for comment. And with the Iowa caucuses just around the corner, Republican presidential candidates made their case to voters over the weekend of who should occupy the Oval Office. NTD's Daniel Monahan brings us campaign event highlights. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy was at the America Fest Turning Point event in Phoenix, Arizona on Sunday. He called the climate change agenda a hoax, saying it has nothing to do with the climate and everything to do with China. Why am I the only candidate in this race who can say certain things? that January 6th was the product of entrapment, that our money is being sent to persecute Christians from Ukraine to Armenia, something you're not supposed to talk about. Ramaswamy called January 6th an intentional intelligence failure. On day one, January 20th, 2025, 
every peaceful protester that day will receive a pardon. That is justice in this country. Former President Donald Trump also made day one in office promises while in Nevada on Sunday, saying he would invoke the Alien Enemies Act to remove all known or suspected gang members, drug dealers, or cartel members from the United States and carry out the largest deportation in U.S. history. Trump painted a dark picture of American security and justice. Our border has been erased. We have no border any longer. Criminals are running wild in our Democrat-run cities while Christians and conservatives are persecuted. And took aim at life under the Joe Biden presidency. Biden's inflation catastrophe is demolishing your savings, ravaging your dreams. His sky-high energy prices are brutalizing your wallets. To the hills of Tennessee. The former president was in New Hampshire on Saturday drawing a capacity crowd despite speaking in the liberal town of Durham at the University of New Hampshire. He fired up audience members, who he said would end up in the poorhouse for funding government programs he labeled wasteful. Let's call it, let's, let's, let's call it from now on the Green New Scam. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis lashed out at the so-called ruling elite at a Second Amendment town hall on Saturday in Iowa. So much of the problems we see are self-inflicted by an out-of-touch political class. Warning those in attendance about an erosion of personal freedom. One of the things our political class has done is they've really failed to safeguard our Constitution and to protect our constitutional liberties. The latest Real Clear Politics polling averages have Trump firmly in front with about 62%, DeSantis and Haley at around 12%, and Ramaswamy at about 5%. The first Republican presidential caucus is in Iowa on January 15th. A Republican presidential debate will take place in the state on January 10th. Republican presidential candidates Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are pressuring former President Donald Trump to join them on the debate stage. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. We're going to get some analysis on campaigns in early voting states where Trump and other candidates visited this weekend from Bart Marquois, a former presidential campaign policy advisor. Bart, thank you for coming on the show today. Good morning, Kevin, Evelyn. Good morning. Trump commented that illegal immigrants are poisoning the blood of the country, and that was in his campaign stop in New Hampshire. And he's also mentioned that he was going to make the biggest deportation in American history. If we look back in 2019, he sought to modernize U.S. immigration policy in that a big proportion of immigrants coming to this country would come here based on merit and skill. Can you give us a brief overview of what Trump's trying to achieve here in terms of immigration? Sure. I think the bottom line of what he's trying to achieve is he'd like to enforce the immigration laws that we have. Anytime people start talking about a comprehensive overhaul of immigration policy, what they're really saying is we don't really want to do anything about stopping the influx of people coming across the border. We have over 10,000 people a day coming across the border. And while America has always been welcoming to immigration, we've been welcoming in a more limited way and in a more selective way. When 10,000 people a day, you're talking about over 3 million people a year, and that's just what we're counting. We don't know how many are coming across, and we don't know who is coming across. And that's what Trump is trying to emphasize over and over. We are facing a position of possibly entering World War III with uh, the feckless foreign policy of Joe Biden rushing us toward the brink. And we have no idea how many enemy sleeper agents we have in the country from Iran, from China, from who knows where, all coming across that completely open southern border. Vetting is very important here, considering that there have been over 100 people on the terror watch list that have been apprehended at the border as well. Now, Biden's team took issue with Trump's immigration rhetoric, and even the campaign was saying that this is echoing the grotesque rhetoric of fascists. So what is President Biden's endgame here in terms of immigration? We've seen him try to include border security in his supplemental aid package. Biden's endgame seems to be simply to overwhelm the American economy and the American polity with, with new people that have no real connection to America and to American traditions and American ideals. 
a Mexican-American who is third or fourth generation uh, living in, in New Mexico or Southern California has more in common with a descendant of the Mayflower living in Connecticut than, than she has with a newly arrived uh, Mexican immigrant uh, who just came in from Mexico last week. There, there, are, there are binding principles that tie the American people together, no matter what our country of origin or our race or our ethnicity. And Joe Biden seems to be trying to to overwhelm that and destroy that and fragment that. Your, your opener talked about the, the homeless crisis. Well, that's a housing crisis at its base and a mental health crisis. That housing crisis is exacerbated by having millions of people come across the border with no legal status that have no place to go. And they're overwhelming all of the traditional, uh, uh, what's the word? Well, the, the, the hotels and motels the temporary housing where they used to house the homeless, those are now being given over to illegal immigrants who are being paid money and benefits and given free health care when they arrive here. So, Bart, you touch on the demographics here. There is actually a large Latino community in Nevada, which Trump gave his speech to, which touched on the largest deportation. And I'll just correct that, that was the White House Deputy Press Secretary that was commenting on Trump's rhetoric there. Let's talk about the economy. Trump appealed to his voter, young voters while in New Hampshire there at the university. Is that his strongest asset? When you say that, you mean the economy? Yeah, is his, the economy his, his strongest? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I think so, because that's something that transcends ideological uh, b barriers. And it's especially poignant, especially uh, necessary for young people to focus on. Young people are waking up to the fact that, that my generation, the baby boomers, has absolutely bent them over a log and picked their pockets. Um, we will die. My, my generation will die before the debt is paid off that we have visited on the, uh, on the younger generation, on your generation. You will pay off the debt that we have racked up. And, and I didn't rack it up, by the way. Don't blame me for it, but it is my generation. A bunch of selfish, self-centered people who've raised self-centered children who all are voting for the people that are going to bankrupt their future, that are bankrupting their future. And, and the 18 to 25-year-old contingent is waking up to that fact, and they're starting to say, no more, no more. Burn the system down, and they're voting for the guy that will burn the system down. Well, Bart, I wish we had more time. I would love to get your insight on uh, Ramaswamy's rhetoric surrounding how they want to bring back the American Revolution ideals and pardoning J6 prisoners and people who were peacefully I'm protesting. for it. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Bart Marcois, former presidential campaign policy advisor. Until next time. Thank you, Kevin. Up next, we hear about a Senate staffer who was fired following the publication of a tape that shows alleged sexual interaction in a Senate hearing room. Trains traveling from Mexico into the U.S. get some bad news as crisis levels of illegal immigration take their toll. Former Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani has been ordered to pay nearly $150 million in damages following statements he made over election fraud. What was his reaction? Let's hear after the break. Good to have you back. The surge of illegal immigrants at a crisis level in Texas. Customs and Border Protection announced Sunday it is shutting down two rail bridges that move freight between Texas and Mexico in response. Antity's Daniel Monahan has more on the move, which comes after over 4,000 illegal immigrants crossed into the Lone Star State on Sunday alone. Customs and Border Protection, or CBP, says the International Railway Crossing Bridges in Eagle Pass and El Paso will be closed for now, so Border Patrol agents can focus more on processing immigrants who have already entered the country. 
The agency said in a statement that the surge in illegal immigrant border encounters is fueled by smugglers peddling disinformation to prey on vulnerable individuals, adding that there has been a recent resurgence of smuggling organizations moving migrants through Mexico using freight trains. The shutdown of the two bridge crossings begins Monday at 8 a.m. local time. The Senate will get back to the negotiating table on Capitol Hill on Monday. Securing the southern border and a package to fund Ukraine will be on the agenda. But lawmakers have several hurdles to overcome before they can reach an agreement. And a group of conservative senators is sounding the alarm on any closed-door border deals. Senators Ron Johnson, Marsha Blackburn, J.D. Vance and others called Sunday for a Republican conference meeting to discuss border negotiations on January 8th, writing, rushed and secret negotiations with Democrats who want an open border and who caused the current crisis will not secure the border. The restarting of talks comes as polls show dwindling support for President Joe Biden's handling of the border, with one Fox News poll showing that as many as 66% of Americans disapprove. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. A Senate staffer has been fired after the emergence of a sex tape. The video appears to show two men having sex in a Senate hearing room. Police are now investigating after the video was obtained and published by the Daily Caller. The identity of those involved has not yet been confirmed. The Daily Caller revealed the staffer reportedly worked for Democratic Senator Ben Cardin's office. NTD could not independently verify the video or the identity of those involved. According to Politico, a statement from the Maryland Democrats office said on Saturday that Aiden Mace Cherobsky was fired. Mace Cherobsky posted a statement on LinkedIn after the incident. He says he's been attacked as part of a political agenda. He added that he will explore legal options. And to Washington, where former New York mayor and Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani has been ordered to pay over $100 million to two Georgia election workers. The jury's verdict comes after Giuliani is alleged to have caused harm by making defamatory statements following the 2020 election. These entities cost him an ass with more updates from the trial. The jury's verdict saw the plaintiffs, Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Shay Moss, being awarded nearly $150 million in damages. It far exceeds the roughly $50 million attorneys had initially asked for. But even after he was ordered to pay the sum, Giuliani remains steadfast in his statements. The absurdity of the number merely underscores the absurdity of the entire proceeding. The former New York mayor had previously accused Freeman and Moss of ballot tampering in Georgia during the 2020 election. The mother and daughter claimed in their case that Giuliani's accusations led them to suffer emotional distress and reputational harm, as well as having them fear for their safety. Giuliani asserted that he was not to blame for any threats against Freeman and Moss. The comments they received I had nothing to do with. Those comments are abominable, they're deplorable. My comments had no connection at all to those. There were thousands of things on the pre in the press about this, of which mine were a small amount. And he said that any claims he made about them were true. I have no doubt that my comments were made and they were supportable and are supportable today. The question now remains how much money Freeman and Moss will see following the verdict. After their attorneys said in court they couldn't determine Giuliani's net worth because he hadn't responded to many of their subpoenas. It's also unclear if Giuliani would be able to declare bankruptcy to shield himself from any payout. But Freeman and Moss will likely see a fraction of the awarded sum, which could still amount to several million dollars. Giuliani did not testify and has vowed to appeal. Cost MNS, NTD News. And Alex Jones has to pay a hefty penalty. A Connecticut appeals court upheld a $75,000 fine against the online talk show host last week. It was levied on Jones after he missed a deposition in March 2022 in a lawsuit filed by family members of the Sandy Hook shooting. In the suit, Jones was ordered to pay almost $1.5 billion in damages for saying the Sandy Hook shooting was a hoax. Jones said he couldn't attend the questioning due to illness and his doctor's recommendations. 
However, according to the state appellate court, Jones continued to broadcast his InfoWars show live at the same time. Meanwhile, Jones is proposing to pay the families only $55 million in damages after declaring bankruptcy. An attorney for some of the families says they are examining the plan. A hearing for the judge to consider the proposals is set for February. And now to some weather news. About 58 million Americans are under flood watches from North Carolina to Maine. Yeah, I felt that wind today. It was over 30 miles an hour in Long Beach. Mm. Yeah, and a storm system is marching along the eastern coast, bringing heavy rain and strong winds. It's battering the northeast, causing power outages, bridge closures, and flooded roadways. More than 115,000 people in the region are already without electricity. The same storm previously drenched the southeast and mid-Atlantic over the weekend. More than 32,000 homes and businesses in Virginia and the Carolinas were without power as of late Sunday night. It will likely reach its peak today when it reaches close to the northeast coast, bringing nor'easter-like impacts, but without the snow. After the break, the U.S. downing multiple Houthi drones over the weekend. Hear the Houthi terrorist group's response to U.S. intervention and how it could affect the Israel-Hamas war. Israel uncovers a tunnel big enough to drive in a quarter mile from the Israeli border and efforts to free hostages intensify after a tragic case of mistaken identity. Russian President Vladimir Putin warns of increased tensions with Finland following the country's recent NATO entry. Find out what prompted Putin's warnings. North Korea launched a missile earlier today. The missile has dangerous implications for the U.S. Find out why coming up. Good to have you back. Iran-backed Houthis issued a new warning to the United States and Israel. The warning came after a U.S. Navy destroyer shot down 14 drones launched from Yemen on Saturday. The warning said any hostility against Yemen or the Houthis will come at a great cost. A Houthi member told a Lebanese media outlet they are ready to respond to any moves the U.S. or Israel might take. He also said their operations against Israel will continue. The USS Kearney downed the 14 drones with no damage to ships in the area or reported injuries. A Fox News report said the USS Kearney has so far shot down 36 drones from Yemen in recent weeks. Last month, Navy ships also shot down two ballistic missiles launched by Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. And the U.S. has requested that Australia dispatch a naval vessel to the Red Sea to counter Iran-backed militias targeting shipping vessels there. Let's hear more on this from Brent Sadler, a research fellow for Naval Warfare and Advanced Technology in the Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you for your time today, Brent. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Good morning. And what obligation to the U.S. does Australia have to send naval forces to the Middle East and the Red Sea? I wouldn't say there is any obligation. We are treaty allies, but that's for self-defense. This is actually a case, I think, of deep mutually shared interest. And the fact that the United States naval presence in the area is starting to be stretched a little too thin. And so I think this is probably the culmination of weeks of uh, discussions, maybe at least several weeks, as things don't look or appear to be settling down at all with the Houthis. Right, and we know the U.S. and Australia have worked closely on military endeavors in the past, of course, with that AUKUS deal that they signed, allowing for that procurement of those nuclear submarines. So we'll see what happens here. Do you think that Australia is going to honor this request? I think so. I mean, they, they have a small military. It's a very capable military. Uh, their obligations and their national defense interests are protecting very key critical sea lanes. I mean, they rely on uh, fuel that's imported from overseas, most of it coming from the Middle East. So it's in their best interest that the Red Sea and the shipping around the, the Arabian Sea is remains open and free and uncontested. And so I'd imagine that they would probably be able to send a frigate or destroyer in the very near future. Right, and Australia is reportedly considering doing so. Do you think that there is a, a large incentive for them to do so, considering that so much is at stake given this choke point that is the Red Sea? Well, I think we've, we've touched on two main reasons that this sending a ship, an Australian warship, to the Horn of Africa is in Australia's best interest. One is continuing this and strengthening the alliance with the United States, which really accrues a lot of benefits for Australia. It allows them to punch way above their, their weight, so to speak, in the national security realm. And 
in deterrence. The other is economic. As mentioned already, their oil supplies come from the region, and they also have a lot of trade also that goes up through the uh, Suez Canal. Yes, absolutely. And do you think an international task force is needed to patrol these waters to protect them from Iran-backed militias? No, I think it's necessary. The United States only has so many naval assets to stay in that area, and there's only so many missiles and, weapon and, and armor that's on each of these ships, so weapon systems, actually. And so eventually they need to be swapped out. With allies participating, it makes it a lot easier to maintain a consistent presence in the area that can thwart or at least respond to any Houthi attack on shipping in the area. So an Australian strategist said that they would be very, looking very bad if the Australian government did not honor this request and that, that it would be a huge mistake to say no. What's your response to that? I think that's about right. I mean, they have to weigh a lot of different calculations, the domestic politics, which is, is another one. But I think, and I think this statement kind of falls into that domestic political arena. The perception in Australia and to Australians, if they are perceived as weak or incompetent, then that actually has a domestic political cost on the party in power right now. But again, their national interest, I think they would bend over backwards to continue the alliance with the United States and also their own economic interest to get a ship out in that area. Brent Sadler at the Heritage Foundation, thank you for weighing in on this. Thank you very much. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is in Tel Aviv, making him the latest Biden administration official to visit Israel. Austin met with Israel's Minister of Defense and is set to get updates on the ongoing battle in Gaza. He's also expected to press Israeli officials to define specific operational milestones and work to drill down on efforts to boost humanitarian aid to Gaza. President Biden is under increasing pressure domestically and internationally to push Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu for a ceasefire. And some updates on the Israel-Hamas war. Israel's military over the weekend uncovered what it called an underground city of terror a quarter mile from Israel's border. The IDF says it's the biggest tunnel it's found in Gaza near the border so far. Israel says direct aid from Israel passed into Gaza for the first time since the war's start yesterday. Around 80 trucks entered from Karem Shalom. The Palestinian Authority says another 120 trucks, along with six fuel trucks, entered through Egypt's Rafah crossing. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more updates on the Israel-Hamas war. Israeli forces hunting Hamas terrorists in Gaza Sunday said they found an unusually large iron-girded concrete tunnel in Gaza, just a quarter mile from Israel's border. Chief IDF spokesperson Real Admiral Daniel Hagari says the tunnel is around two and a half miles long, stretching from Gaza City, once the heart of Hamas command, and now an active combat zone, to the Erez crossing at the Israeli border. Without demolishing the tunnel project of Hamas, we cannot demolish Hamas. Raising or disabling hundreds of miles of terrorist infrastructure beneath Gaza is among the aims of Israel's offensive. The IDF says it secured the tunnel a few weeks ago and is revealing it now. Hagari called it a flagship project of Hamas and says it will be destroyed. It's a city, an underground city of terror that Hamas dug and built instead of investing money in the residents of Gaza. The military showed reporters the exit point of the tunnel, just south of the Eras checkpoint, one of the locations overrun by Hamas in the October 7th attack. Hagari says electricity, ventilation and communication systems were found inside, along with many weapons. The IDF says the tunnel did not cross into Israel and was used to launch attacks on IDF troops in the Gaza Strip, among other things. With shafts plunging straight down over 150 feet, Hagari suggests the tunnel was part of a wider network. This is the Sinwar project. Israel's military stated Sunday the tunnel was a project of Mohammed Sinwar, the brother of Hamas leader Yahya Sinwar. The IDF put out a video of the senior Hamas operative it says was taken from a car inside the tunnel. The IDF also released footage of a tunnel found inside a child's bedroom in the northern city of Jabalia. The tunnels have been a challenge for Israel's engineers over concerns for the safety of hostages. Israel's chief of the general staff, Herzi Halevi, says three Israeli hostages mistakenly killed last week were shirtless and holding a white flag when shot. The military chief says the tragic incident was against IDF rules of engagement and told soldiers Sunday to arrest all combatants that lay down their arms and raise their hands. Halevi says Israel has taken over a thousand captives so far during the war in order to gain intelligence. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu Saturday suggested talks could soon be underway to have more hostages freed.
The Israeli leader saying only continued military pressure will lead to the release, stating his directive to Israel's negotiating team is based on that pressure. Israel's Minister of Defense Yoav Gallant met with military and intelligence chiefs over the weekend to focus on hostage recovery efforts. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is expected to announce a new naval task force during his visit to the Middle East this week, a maritime force meant to protect international shipping lanes from terrorist attacks in the Red Sea. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Russian President Vladimir Putin has warned of potential problems between Russia and Finland. It comes as the Scandinavian country strengthened its ties with the U.S. and effectively closed its border with Russia. Finland has accused Russia of pushing asylum seekers across the border. Last month, most crossings into the country were closed by Finland. And tensions in the region are set to escalate following a defense agreement between the U.S. military and Finland, which is expected to be signed this week. Meanwhile, Putin has blamed the West for dragging Finland into NATO following Russia's war with Ukraine. Putin asserted that before this, no real tension existed between the two nations since the end of World War II. Finland joined NATO in April this year, becoming the 31st nation to join the treaty. Putin also dismissed claims by President Biden, who said Russia would likely seek to attack NATO next if it wins the war in Ukraine. Going over in North Korea, North Korea launched a possible intercontinental ballistic missile this morning. Analysts say it indicates the growing reliability of the country's illegal weapons program. Japan's defense ministry says its preliminary assessment is that the missile had enough range to hit anywhere in the U.S. Japan's defense ministry reported the missile flight lasted 73 minutes. It reached a maximum altitude over 3,500 miles and fell into the sea west of Hokkaido, Japan. North Korea followed up that launch with a statement condemning the U.S. This followed the arrival of a U.S. nuclear-powered submarine in South Korea yesterday. The U.S. and South Korea have increased the intensity of joint military drills against the rising threats from North Korea and its allies. The country has recently tested a range of ballistic missiles. It claims it launched its first military spy satellite last month. Up next, a new federal report shows a rise in homelessness in America. We take a look at what that means with the host of NTD Business. The progressive watchdog group Media Matters for America is suing Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. Hear details on what the group is claiming in court when we come back. Thanks for staying with us. As you can see, joining us now is NTD business host Don Ma, as every day to discuss the homeless situation in the U.S. The number of people experiencing homelessness has surged to its highest level on record this year, according to a federal survey. So, Don, what does it say about the homelessness situation? Well, first of all, uh, what the survey looks at is the number of individuals in uh, shelters and uh, uh, temporary housing and uh, homeless environments. And it looks at one night. And this snapshot is called uh, this, the point in time estimate. And the Department of Housing and Urban Development uh, does this every year. And so it seems like the number of unhoused individuals uh, this year compared to last year increased 12% uh, estimates uh, somewhere around 650,000 homeless people uh, in, in the U.S. on that night. And here's some context for that number. From 2007 to 2016, uh, homelessness actually dropped uh, 15%. And uh, before the pandemic, it rose a little bit, but it rose about 6%. So this one year rise of 12% is actually four times bigger than any previous increase. And uh, this is the most actually since this type of reporting began uh, with the federal agency. Uh, so that, that's the most in the past 15 years. And it seems like homelessness increased nationwide uh, across all household types. But it uh, seems like it's disproportionately uh, affecting communities of color. Uh, and the survey found that uh, a sharp jump, actually, in the number of people who became homeless for the very first time. So that was interesting. And more than half of homeless individuals were just concentrated in four states. 
So that's California, New York, uh, Washington, uh, and Florida as well. And California, uh, some numbers here, 28% of the country's homeless population. And New York's homeless situation actually jumped more than three times the national homeless rate. Wow. Yeah, it's such an important thing, and it even shows up in our debates. Like, for example, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis criticizing California Governor Gavin Newsom showing that map of human feces actually in the San Francisco area. So obviously they had to clean that up, you know, when Xi Jinping arrived. But then besides that, it's still a pervasive problem. Right, but that's also, you know, what I take from this, was what I found really interesting is that the sharp jump in, home, uh, in the homeless people for the first time. And apparently what was surprising that, you know, um, the homelessness in Asian American households also jumped by 40%. So I thought that, can you tell us more about the factors that are leading to this, uh, in, to these increased numbers? Yeah, uh, there's actually a combination of factors as your earlier guest mentioned, uh, and he pointed this out as well. Uh, rent is a significant contributing factor. It climbed uh, significantly over the past few years. National median asking rent price is 20% higher than uh, it was before the pandemic. And as well as adding to that, histori historically low vacancy rates and uh, low affordable housing uh, sh and housing shortages, in fact, are also contributing to the factor. And of course, uh, another significant factor uh, to the increase, as your earlier guest mentioned, is the migrant situation, right? There's so many migrants now flooding into the US and this survey uh, doesn't necessarily ask people whether they are migrants uh, when they're uh, not in a home, but uh, some researchers do also agree that the rise in homelessness is contributed partly to uh, this rise in migrants uh, uh, flooding into the US. Um, about 55% of the growth in homelessness occurred among those uh, who identify as Latino. And some of the sharpest growth um, of, hom of homelessness has occurred in uh, the cities that are most uh, affected by the influx of migrants. So that's including New York, of course, uh, Denver, Chicago. Those are the cities that are most impacted uh, from the migrant situation. And for New York City, uh, at the beginning of uh, 2022, during the summertime, the, the homeless shelter system, homelessness shelter system has been uh, actually overwhelmed by an influx of migrants. Um, they're being uh, bused into the city from southern U.S. Uh, border states, and um, more than 150 migra 150,000 migrants uh, have been in the city shelter for some time now. It seems right. I mean, it's interesting because I, I, we hear a lot about housing, rent, of course, and it. Frankly, as somebody who moved here from Europe, it's quite, it's always surprising again how much and how expensive the most essential things are sometimes, including medical care, housing. So, yeah, it's, it's um, you know, and apparently there is so many also just one paycheck away or one emergency away, for example, um, from being homeless or being from, yeah, from the streets. Right, and Don, you mentioned New York. There were concerns that veterans were actually being displaced from homeless services due to the surge in migrants that were coming to the city. I want to change topics here really quick. Is there going to be a strike happening at Anheuser-Busch? Yeah, that is something that uh, a lot of people are wondering because the Teamsters Union said that 99% of its members have voted to actually authorize a strike at Anheuser-Busch's uh, U.S. breweries. A strike has been approved if the union uh, can't reach an agreement on a new labor contract with the beer maker by early next year. So just a few weeks. Um, but the union seeks to increase wages, protect jobs, and uh, secure health care and retirement benefits. Teamsters President Sean O'Brien said if Anheuser-Busch can't negotiate an agreement that respects workers, he's going to uh, see them out on the streets. And uh, Anheuser-Busch has not yet com commented publicly on the situation, but the current contract expires at the end of February. The union represents around 5,000 members at 12 breweries uh, operated by Anheuser-Busch. Wow, it's definitely something happening with the unions this year. So also what's happening with uh, the Media Matters lawsuit? Right, uh, and that uh, Media Matters for America um, is suing Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton in federal court the progressive watchdog group reported last month that X uh, was hosting bigots and had paid far-right extremists. Uh, they warned that advertisers and their content was running beside pro-Hitler and anti-Semitic content. That report was then cited by major companies like 
Apple, Disney, and others as well who announced they will be uh, boycotting the platform actually. And X responded to the allegations, saying that the watchdog group had manufactured its results. And Paxton then announced an investigation into media matters for potentially fraudulent, uh, for potential fraudulent activity. Uh, media matters has asked the court to permanently block Paxton's investigation, saying it violates their first and 14th amendment rights. Well, Ken Paxton certainly has had his hands full with the legal and political challenges and then, of course, that impeachment scare that he had a little while ago. But I do appreciate the update. Don Ma, host of NTD Business. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Don. And stay with us. What do you do during those holiday dinners when people try to bring politics or awkward conversation to the dinner table? We speak with an expert on etiquette to help you navigate the holidays when we come back. Thanks for staying with us. Family dinners can be a mess, especially when someone brings up politics and controversial topics. So what do you do when someone tries to bring up awkward conversations at the dinner table? We have some answers for you. Take a look. And joining me now to talk about this is Valerie Sokolowski. She is an author and speaker on personal branding and etiquette. So it's really good to have you this morning, Valerie, and to talk about that. And I want to start with the dinner table conversation? Because we, I understand that that can turn awkward, it can turn heated. So what should, and or better, what shouldn't we talk about at the dinner table? <laughs> kind of goes to what we should never talk about anyway, which is health, politics, uh, things, anything that's controversial. This is the time to really understand. We just want to have a good time with friends and family. So keep it at a high level and a respectful level, of course. So sometimes it's not in our control. What if somebody brings it up anyway or tosses us a question that we don't really feel like we want to answer it? It's, it's very simple for the host or hostess, and that's really who should take charge here, is just to say, you know what, let's table that until we get through with dinner. You can take it offside anywhere you want, but let's just focus on our food and good time. So as a host, um, I'm about to host a party. Is there any anything I should keep in mind for throwing that party? Yes, we'll obviously put something in there to RSVP. And on the other side, I will tell you the trend is people just don't do it. But you know, here's the main thing, Evelyn. Once someone comes in your door as the host or hostess, it's your responsibility to make them feel very welcome. And the best way to do that is to, of course, greet them at the door, bring them into the fold, take their jacket, give it to someone to put away, and then get them engaged. So take them over to a group maybe that's already talking and make that introduction. Evelyn, I want to have you, uh, I want Mary to join your conversation. It looks like you're having a good time. Mary is, and then give a little bit of information about who Mary is or what she's all about. So it's really awkward. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way. I certainly have going into a group of people you don't know and then if it's up to you to make the connection here's how you can do it if that happens unfortunately to you you walk up to a group that seems to be having a good time and stand there a moment and usually someone will notice there's a body here and bring you in and if not if they don't say oh come on in we're talking about which they should do then you take it upon yourself with presence executive presence is what i'll say have presence enough to walk in and say, and stand there until you have an opportunity to say, I'm Mary, I'm so glad to be here tonight. I'd love to hear more about what you're talking about. Mm, I think that's a great way to, uh, that's a great way to approach it. Also, of course, that the host should be attentive enough to help in that way. And what about, we're covering a lot of ground here, but what about as a guest or just gift giving? Any rule of thumbs there? The uh, gift giving is difficult. You don't ever want to give something that has to be put into a vase like flowers. <laughs> don't bring flowers because that means they have to do something with it. But it's nice to bring a host guest or a, a, a gift for a host uh, at the party. And in Lee's case, a note, handwritten note after the party saying, thank you, I so enjoyed being with you last night. People have gotten out of the habit of handwritten notes. 
And I don't know about you, but when I receive one that's handwritten, it really means a lot. It means someone has been respectful and honoring the time that we've been together and saying thank you. So let's all get back to that good habit. I agree that it adds that personal touch to it as well. Thank you so much, Valerie Sokolowski. I really appreciate your time this morning and those helpful tips. Well, good. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you too. This is really a good thing to cover right now because you know it's sure to come up with the presidential nominating contest coming up in a few weeks. Mm. Yeah. Right. So. And also, what didn't make the cut, don't remember to not drink as much during that office holiday party. <laughs> All <great>. right. <laughs> Uh, we are uh, heading into our second part of the broadcast as we will be back in one minute, so stay with us. There are real consequences to controlled media. And NTD's founders know them firsthand. Our freedom of thought is the price. This is the lesson that guides us in everything we do. So there's the tear gas there. We know the value of a free society. And we take seriously the responsibility to preserve it. We RNTD. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. Good morning. Here are top stories. A car smashes into President Biden's motorcade outside campaign headquarters. We have more details on the accident. Israel says it's the largest Hamas tunnel ever found near its border, big enough to fit vehicles. More on what an IDF spokesman calls an underground city of terror. The U.S. Navy shoots down over a dozen drones launched from Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. The Houthis then issued a warning to the U.S. and Israel. Presidential hopefuls took their message to the masses over the weekend with the first caucuses fast approaching and a shakeup in Governor DeSantis's campaign as a super PAC chief strategist resigns. Thousands of illegal immigrants flood into Texas on Sunday alone. The Biden administration announces emergency measures sure to leave international rail traffic in a jam. Seven people were arrested last week on suspicion of plotting a terrorist attack against Jews in Europe. We take a look at what it means for the U.S. during this holiday season's rush. About 58 million Americans are under flood watches from North Carolina to Maine. We have more on a storm system marching along the East Coast. Dozens of Santas ditched their sleds and took up gondolas instead. We take a look at a colorful, fun Christmas tradition in Venice, Italy. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD. Welcome everyone. Today is Monday. Happy Monday, December 18th. And we are heading to our top news. President Biden's motorcade was disrupted yesterday after a car crashed into a parked SUV outside the president's campaign headquarters. The president and his wife had just left his campaign headquarters after having dinner with members of his re-election team. He and the First Lady Jill Biden were unharmed in the incident. The incident occurred just after 8 p.m. local time. Footage shows the president walking out of the campaign headquarters and being confronted by a question from a reporter. The reporter asked the president why he is losing to Trump in the polls, to which he responded, you're reading the wrong polls. Immediately after that, a collision can be heard nearby. The president was escorted into another vehicle by security staff as other agents quickly confronted the driver who crashed into the motorcade. Agents cornered the car and pulled weapons on the driver who held his hands up. According to a witness, the Bidens returned safely to their home in Wilmington following the incident. 
And another shakeup for Governor Ron DeSantis' presidential bid. The top advisor to the Super PAC supporting the DeSantis campaign resigned Saturday night. Jeff Rowe's resignation comes as DeSantis is in the final weeks before the Iowa caucuses. Rowe announced his resignation on X Saturday. His announcement came hours after the Washington Post published a story about the turmoil within the Super PAC dubbed Never Back Down. In the story, Never Back Down chairman and CEO Scott Wagner attributed recent departures of some of Rowe's top workers to numerous unauthorized leaks containing false information. Wagner later revised his statement after a lawyer for the employees claimed his assertions were false. Both statements were included in the Post story. Rowe said he cannot in good conscience stay affiliated with the Super PAC given the statements in the Washington Post. A DeSantis campaign spokesman said they have full confidence in the Super PAC. Never back down did not immediately respond to media requests for comment. With the Iowa caucuses just around the corner, Republican presidential candidates made their case to voters over the weekend of who should occupy the Oval Office. And today's Daniel Monahan brings us campaign event highlights. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy was at the America Fest Turning Point event in Phoenix, Arizona on Sunday. He called the climate change agenda a hoax, saying it has nothing to do with the climate and everything to do with China. Why am I the only candidate in this race who can say certain things? that January 6th was the product of entrapment, that our money is being sent to persecute Christians from Ukraine to Armenia, something you're not supposed to talk about. Ramaswamy called January 6th an intentional intelligence failure. On day one, January 20th, 2025, every peaceful protester that day will receive a pardon. That is justice in this country. Former President Donald Trump also made day one in office promises while in Nevada on Sunday, saying he would invoke the Alien Enemies Act to remove all known or suspected gang members, drug dealers, or cartel members from the United States and carry out the largest deportation in U.S. history. Trump painted a dark picture of American security and justice. Our border has been erased. We have no border any longer. Criminals are running wild in our Democrat-run cities while Christians and conservatives are persecuted. And took aim at life under the Joe Biden presidency. Biden's inflation catastrophe is demolishing your savings, ravaging your dreams. His sky-high energy prices are brutalizing your wallets. To the hills of Tennessee. The former president was in New Hampshire on Saturday drawing a capacity crowd despite speaking in the liberal town of Durham at the University of New Hampshire. He fired up audience members who he said would end up in the poorhouse for funding government programs he labeled wasteful. Let's call it, let's, let's, let's call it from now on the Green New Scam. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis lashed out at the so-called ruling elite at a Second Amendment town hall on Saturday in Iowa. So much of the problems we see are self-inflicted by an out-of-touch political class. Warning those in attendance about an erosion of personal freedom. One of the things our political class has done is they've really failed to safeguard our Constitution and to protect our constitutional liberties. The latest Real Clear Politics polling averages have Trump firmly in front with about 62%, DeSantis and Haley at around 12%, and Ramaswamy at about 5%. The first Republican presidential caucus is in Iowa on January 15th. A Republican presidential debate will take place in the state on January 10th. Republican presidential candidates Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are pressuring former President Donald Trump to join them on the debate stage. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The surge of illegal immigrants at a crisis level in Texas. Customs and Border Protection announced Sunday it is shutting down two rail bridges that move freight between Texas and Mexico in response. The move comes after over 4,000 illegal immigrants crossed into the Lone Star State on Sunday alone. 
Customs and Border Protection, or CBP, says the International Railway Crossing bridges in Eagle Pass and El Paso will be closed for now. So Border Patrol agents can focus more on processing immigrants who have already entered the country. The agency said in a statement that the surge in illegal immigrant border encounters is fueled by smugglers peddling disinformation to prey on vulnerable individuals, adding that there has been a recent resurgence of smuggling operations moving migrants through Mexico using freight trains. The shutdown of the two bridge crossings begins Monday at 8 a.m. local time. The Senate will get back to the negotiating table on Capitol Hill on Monday. Securing the southern border and a package to fund Ukraine will be on the agenda. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is in Tel Aviv, making him the latest Biden administration official to visit Israel. Austin met with Israel's Minister of Defense and is set to get updates on the, on the ongoing battle in Gaza. He's also expected to press Israeli officials to define specific operational milestones and work to drill down on efforts to boost humanitarian aid to Gaza. President Biden is under increasing pressure domestically and internationally to push Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu for a ceasefire. And some more updates on the Israel-Hamas war. Israel's military over the weekend uncovered what it called an underground city of terror, a quarter mile from Israel's border. The IDF says it's the biggest tunnel it's found in Gaza near the border so far. Israel says direct aid from Israel passed into Gaza for the first time since the war's start yesterday. Around 80 trucks entered from Karem Shalom. The Palestinian Authority says another 120 trucks, along with six fuel trucks, entered through Egypt's Rafah crossing. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more updates on the Israel-Hamas war. Israeli forces hunting Hamas terrorists in Gaza Sunday said they found an unusually large iron-girded concrete tunnel in Gaza, just a quarter mile from Israel's border. Chief IDF spokesperson Real Admiral Daniel Hagari says the tunnel is around two and a half miles long, stretching from Gaza City, once the heart of Hamas command, and now an active combat zone, to the Erez crossing at the Israeli border. Without demolishing the tunnel project of Hamas, we cannot demolish Hamas. Raising or disabling hundreds of miles of terrorist infrastructure beneath Gaza is among the aims of Israel's offensive. The IDF says it secured the tunnel a few weeks ago and is revealing it now. Hagari called it a flagship project of Hamas and says it will be destroyed. It's a city, an underground city of terror that Hamas dug and built instead of investing money in the residents of Gaza. The military showed reporters the exit point of the tunnel, just south of the Eras checkpoint, one of the locations overrun by Hamas in the October 7th attack. Hagari says electricity, ventilation and communication systems were found inside, along with many weapons. The IDF says the tunnel did not cross into Israel and was used to launch attacks on IDF troops in the Gaza Strip, among other things. With shafts plunging straight down over 150 feet, Hagari suggests the tunnel was part of a wider network. This is the Sinwar project. Israel's military stated Sunday the tunnel was a project of Mohammed Sinwar, the brother of Hamas leader Yahya Sinwar. The IDF put out a video of the senior Hamas operative it says was taken from a car inside the tunnel. The IDF also released footage of a tunnel found inside a child's bedroom in the northern city of Jabalia. The tunnels have been a challenge for Israel's engineers over concerns for the safety of hostages. Israel's chief of the general staff, Herzi Halevi, says three Israeli hostages mistakenly killed last week were shirtless and holding a white flag when shot. The military chief says the tragic incident was against IDF rules of engagement and told soldiers Sunday to arrest all combatants that lay down their arms and raise their hands. Halevi says Israel has taken over a thousand captives so far during the war in order to gain intelligence. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu Saturday suggested talks could soon be underway to have more hostages freed. The Israeli leader saying only continued military pressure will lead to the release, stating his directive to Israel's negotiating team is based on that pressure. Israel's Minister of Defense, Yoav Gallant, met with military and intelligence chiefs over the weekend to focus on hostage recovery efforts. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is expected to announce a new naval task force during his visit to the Middle East this week, a maritime force meant to protect international shipping lanes from terrorist attacks in the Red Sea. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. After seven people were arrested in Europe last week for an alleged terror plot, we look at what it means for the U.S. with the holidays quickly approaching. 
About 58 million Americans are under flood watches from North Carolina to Maine. We have more on a strong system approaching and marching the East Coast. And dozens of Santas show up in Venice, Italy for local traditions. See the merry festivities when we come back. Good morning and welcome back. Iran-backed Houthis issued a new warning to the United States and Israel. The warning came after a U.S. Navy destroyer shot down 14 drones launched from Yemen on Saturday. The warning said any hostility against Yemen or the Houthis will come at a great cost. A Houthi member told a Lebanese media outlet they are ready to respond to any moves the U.S. or Israel might take, make. He also said their operations against Israel will continue. The USS Kearney downed the 14 drones with no damage to ships in the area or reported injuries. A Fox News report said the USS Kearney has so far shot down 36 drones from Yemen in recent weeks. Last month, Navy ships also shot down two ballistic missiles launched by Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. And Americans are warned that terror groups may use the Israel-Hamas war to increase calls for violence. At the same time, Europe has been on heightened alert with the Netherlands raising its terror level to substantial. To better understand the threat, we're bringing in Kyle Scheidler. He is a counterterrorism analyst at the, security, uh, at the Center for Security Policy. Good morning, Kyle. Thank you so much for taking your time this morning. First of all, um, I want to know what does history tell us here with um, um, just how significantly do these calls, these uh, calls for violence, increase attacks by bad actors and terrorists? Well, you have to take them very seriously. And the way these things often work is these calls will go out and they will motivate a wide variety of actors, both uh, existing terrorist cells that are perhaps awaiting for some order to strike on a pre-existing plot, or in a lot of cases, um, ideologically motivated individuals who are responding to that call who may not belong to any terrorist cell. Uh, they simply uh, believe strongly in the cause and they go out and they take action. And we've seen quite a bit of that in Europe uh, already so far. And so that would be probably the thing I would be most concerned about. But of course, you're always watching for that larger uh, pre-existing terror plot. Right. And those arrested allegedly also have connections to Hamas or part of Hamas. And um, are you worried about Hamas making their way to the U.S. as well? We don't have to wait for Hamas to make its way to the United States. Uh, there is a large and extensive um, network of Hamas-linked organizations in the United States. Now, the vast majority of them are engaged in propaganda activities and in fundraising. They're not engaged in terror plots per mm -hmm. se. Uh, but of course, that could change if they received instructions uh, to do so from Hamas overseas. Uh, but generally speaking, what networks in the United States are focused on is fundraising, propaganda and recruitment, uh, ideological recruitment of individuals. So what you, I would be concerned of is, again, that individual who is um, ideologically motivated and chooses to take action on his own, uh, whether he belongs to Hamas or is merely sympathetic to it. I see. Very interesting. So also FBI Director Christopher Wray said he is seeing those blinking, well, warning lights everywhere. So what do these kind of threats look like? Um, what can be observed right now around the U.S. after October 7th? Well, certainly you're going to be looking at, um, you know, areas where you have known networks, known networks that exist. Uh, are they uh, engaged in any additional chatter? Uh, is there a discussion about specific uh, information that you can use? Are there information about specific targets, specific individuals, uh, specific plots? Um, often there aren't. Uh, this is very this is a very challenging uh, part of countering terrorism in the 21st century, uh, particularly when again you have these individuals who are responding out of their own ideological motivation. They don't necessarily have to tell anyone uh, that they're they're planning an attack. The United States has very very powerful electronic surveillance. Um, where we are genuinely lacking is generally human intelligence, uh, and that can make detecting these sorts of individuals more challenging. Uh, one of the places where I think the FBI needs to do a better job um, 
is in human intelligence gathering and avoiding this over-reliance on electronic surveillance because uh, electronic surveillance can leave you blind to some of these uh, some of these outlets. Right, very concerning. And of course, one question is also about security. Are there certain locations that are especially under heightened risk? I know soft targets were, were mentioned before, or in other words, is, are there any places to avoid maybe? Well, I wouldn't tell Americans to avoid doing anything that they normally do during the holiday season, but I would suggest that they undertake a heightened sense of awareness. Um, be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of things that don't make sense to you, uh, that don't fit in with what you're used to seeing. Uh, and don't be afraid to tell somebody. So often you hear after a terror attack, uh, a number of individuals will come out and say, I saw the guy, uh, I saw something, it didn't feel right, but I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on what it was. You don't have to understand why it is that something feels wrong. If it feels wrong, talk to law enforcement and talk to uh, somebody who can do something about it. They won't be upset. Uh, they will be grateful for you. And you will have a sense when things aren't right. Trust that sense. All right. Thank you so much, Kyle Scheidler, for your time this morning and speaking with us. Have a good one. Thank you. And now we're moving on to some weather news. About 58 million Americans are under flood watches from North Carolina to Maine. A storm system is marching along the eastern coast, bringing heavy rain and strong winds. It's battering the northeast, causing power outages, bridge closures, and flooded roadways. More than 115,000 people in the region are already without electricity. The same storm previously drenched the southeast and mid-Atlantic over the weekend. More than 32,000 homes and businesses in Virginia and the Carolinas were without power as of late Sunday night. It will likely reach its peak today when it reaches close to the northeast coast, bringing nor'easter-like impacts, but without the snow. And now we have some lighter news out of Croatia. A man's childhood dream is having a real Christmas tree, inspired him to create a festival of lights that grows each year. It now boasts five million light bulbs at his estate in central Croatia, drawing in hundreds of visitors from Croatia and neighboring countries. The Salaj family's park includes lights on trees, bushes, wooden cottages, and bridges. The owner of the Christmas theme park said he dreamed of a Christmas fairy tale setting since he, Christmas fairy tale setting since he was a boy. He says he never had a Christmas tree at home after losing his mother early on. The project was launched in 2001 with 70,000 lights. The number has increased each year to reach 5 million lights this year. The number of visitors to his park has also grown. It's estimated to be around 100,000 people each year. Salaj says he reinvests his profits to offer something new to his visitors every year. More on Christmas, dozens of Santas ditched their sleighs for gondolas as they rode along Venice's canals yesterday. About 100 Santas arrived in Lagoon City on boats and gondolas. The event was part of a program called Venice Lights Up Christmas. The costume Santas provided a cheerful and colorful sight amid a backdrop of bells ringing out over the city's legendary canals. The Santa Regatta is part of a Christmas tradition in Venice that brings joy and magic to the city a week before Christmas. What a sight with all these Santas and such a beautiful backdrop in Venice. Yes, really charming place there. And it, Santa's probably going to get a lot of uh, muscles after all that workout. Oh, yeah. After having relied on reindeer to do the work for him. Oh, that's right. Now he has to row himself. Yeah. <laughs> all right. These are the story that really gets me excited for the holidays. But we have to wrap up our show here now. But we'll keep you updated with the latest information. Stay tuned for our News Today broadcast at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.